You are now listening to a Providence Community Church podcast. For more information, please visit ProvidenceTX.org. What we get to do this Sunday is we get to begin a series, uh, an Advent series, titled Behold the Lamb of God, where we will be reflecting on the first coming of Christ. And this passage we'll be hearing from can be found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, would you please turn there uh, with me? And if you do not have a Bible, there should be one located in the seat back in front of you. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, you can call your own. Consider that a gift uh, from Providence to you. Uh, feel free to write in it, highlight it as you may wish. Uh, again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through, 18 through 25. Once you arrive there, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see you all here. My name is Cord. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And if it's your first time, I just want to say thank you so much for making us a part of your week. Uh, We're so glad that you're here. Uh, We'd love it if you'd let us know that you made it out. You can fill out one of the Connect cards in one of the seat backs in front of you. Uh, But like Ty said, we are opening up our Advent campaign. I can't believe that it's Christmas time. Is that not a little crazy? I mean, it's already Christmas, already December. Um, But I wanted to say before I jump into anything else, I wanted to say a big thank you to Megan Gaston and a host of people who did all of the decorations here and did a great job. Um, And I just, I I walked in and I was like, wow, it's like uh, that scene on Elf where Will Ferrell comes in and in one night he like carves a a, a wooden horse, you know, from from one block of wood. (laughs) You know, that's kind of how it felt whenever I walked in, but I wanted to say thank you. Uh, It looks amazing. Uh, And before I jump off into the sermon, you you probably had on one of the seats in front uh, that you sat in, it says first gift. And you saw that there's a big present out in the um, in the foyer in the multi-purpose room I just want to make mention of what that's about and what we're trying to do here over the course of Advent in the month of December uh, so about three or four months ago in our, mem- our last members uh, meeting we sat down with all of our members and said uh, we are looking to try to find a new facility of some sort uh, we have outgrown the facility that we're in and you might look around and say, well, I still see some seats open. Primarily, that's a kid issue. You guys keep having babies, and no one will stop. I've been trying to preach against it, and it just it doesn't work. It's like it's just furthering the cause of baby making. And so we have over, I kid you not, the average is over 100 from infancy to fifth grade every Sunday back there in that small little area. It is a wonder that things have not burned down. 
and they have stayed safe by the grace of God. We have amazing volunteers back there. Julie has done a great job back there with a lot of coordinators, but we're just running out of space. Um, you probably have felt that tension sometimes when you go back and they say the class is full. Uh, that's for two reasons, and I want to say it's not primarily only a volunteer issue. That may be what the misnomer is. It's primarily because the fire code doesn't allow us to have that many kids in one room. And with our history as a church, we try to follow the fire code now. Okay? So we've been trying to stay faithful to that because you never know what might happen. Okay. So we've been, we, we announced that at our last members meeting. And uh, in the new year, we're going to be pushing forward a campaign that's going to be most likely a year and a half or two year long campaign of what we see as an elder team and really as a leadership team that we're going to need for the next couple of years in order for us to facilitate all of the growth that God has graciously allowed us to have. And it's really centered on one thing. And, and I want to make this abundantly clear. Buildings and facilities and stuff is only as helpful and as important as it serves the people for the glory of God and the gospel moving forward. That's it. And so if you, if you know that from the outset, that's what we're aiming at. And so our goal for the month of December for us here at our church is $75,000 over and above what we normally bring in. That is a massive goal. And the reason that we chose that number is because it will either meet or get really close to meeting what we would need to have a down payment if we were to find a place. Uh, we've already been pre-approved for about a million and a half dollar loan. And so that would put us in our savings account to be able to move on something if, by God's grace, he opened up the door. And we're not saying that, that he has done that yet because we have a bunch of options, but none of them seem like the right spot just yet. But we're believing that he will and that we want to be ready for that time whenever it comes. Now, I want to make mention of this. If you're not a member here, in no way am I expecting you to take this to heart if you're just a guest. Because there's something weird about coming to church, especially over Christmas time, and the first thing is a building fund being mentioned. So I just want to say, you're welcome here. You know, if God compels you to give, I'm not dumb. That would be great for you to do that. On the other hand, in no way do we expect that from you. This is an opportunity for our members to be the first ones to give towards this. And then we're believing God maybe over the course of the next couple of years that we could see something miraculous. So there's a big present out there in Jesus' name. Let's do big things, right? All right. Now let's get into the text. And before I do, bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. Oh, Father, thank you for the season of Advent, the warmth that comes when we get to be around family and friends and food. And most of all, Jesus, thank you that we have this opportunity to be recentered on your person and work. Jesus, that you, even as the Christ child, a baby, you were reaching out to save, reaching out to draw us near to you. Your eyes set on making a way where there was no way. Thank you, God, that you made that way. And now, Holy Spirit, would you bring to remembrance, would you bring back to the forefront of our minds just how central the message of Christmas is, not just in December, but always. And that, Jesus, you truly are the greatest gift that God the Father has ever given this morning, we choose to embrace you as that gift. And also, Lord, we look when we leave here to share the gift that you are. Help us, teach us, mold us, open the eyes of our heart to your word, we ask in your precious name. Amen. So I, I want to be honest from the outset. I love Christmas time. If you're a Grinch, give me a minute. You can plug your ears, then you can reopen them. I really like Christmas. Have enjoyed it since I was a kid. 
the 26th is the worst. I hate the day after Christmas because you're like, I got a whole year to wait for this again. When I was a kid, I hated it. I just kind of tried to prolong it as long as I could. And there's so many things that I love about Christmas. And all of them is an easy way for me to say what I like. I like the lights. I like the decorations. I like the food. That's probably most clear. I like the cold weather. I like the movies, like the cheesy movies that you get to watch. I like fires, the time with family, gifts, both giving and receiving. As a child, mostly receiving, I've learned, okay? Uh, I like the traditions, weird ones. I like Christmas songs. So whenever you turn on like KSBJ or 99.1 and you're like, oh, it's that month again, I'm the one who likes it, right? I'm the one who led her to to the DJ. I want that to happen. I like those songs. Uh, my wife and I, like the first five or six years of our marriage, we went to watch A Christmas Carol in the Alley Theater every year. Sometimes it was the same actors and actresses. I don't care. I like it. I enjoy Christmas time. However, it's easy to get caught, and even for me, easy to get caught in all of the sentimentality, the things that I just mentioned, and jump right beyond all of that and miss the heart of Christmas itself. I have found that it's easy to do that. Our hearts are even prone to do this. And here's the thing. I think in an increasingly agnostic culture, it becomes more acceptable for us to do that because just the Christmas sentimentality looks like faith to the world that we live in, doesn't it? It's like if you just have like, Jesus is the reason in your front yard, like, oh, Christians, right? But you don't have to really be embracing and experiencing the vitality of what Christmas is all about in order to put Jesus is the reason in your front yard, right? We know that. It's just like when somebody gives me like a politician sign. I don't really know that person. I just said, fine, put it in my yard because I don't want to talk that much. You know, and then I have all these, you know, politics signs. Similarly so, we could put all of these uh, lights up and have the sentimentality but not have the reason. Here's what I want to say. All of the lights, even what we see right here, they are meant to be a shadow that points us to the substance. So they can be really good like those moments that you have with your family where it just feels like this is right, you know, like it happens for like 0.2 seconds and then everything goes south again. But, you know, that 0.2 seconds where it feels right, it's warm, everybody's around the table, you're holding hands, even the family members that don't like each other are holding hands. That's meant to point us back to Jesus who has a family that he's bringing back together around his table. You know, the book of Revelation ends with this feast of being around the table of God. It's meant to point us back. But sometimes it's easy to be okay with the shadow, not embracing the substance. Paul says this in his letter to the Colossians. He says, talking to them about feasts and new moons and Sabbaths, they're having all these arguments about when they should celebrate them and how they should celebrate them. And Paul says, listen, all of those are just fine, but they're the shadow. The substance belongs to Christ. The substance is Jesus And so Christmas is a great shadow. It's a great season because it can lead us to the substance, which is Christ. And I want to tell you, enjoying the shadow is fine. In fact, I would encourage you to do so. I think it can be one of the most helpful parts about Christmas is that it recenters us. But what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about how do we recenter on what the main thing is. What does Christmas teach us, not just about Jesus coming, but who he is and what he came to do? I think Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, it gives us the headline. In journalism, there's something called burying the lead. It's whenever you see a news article that tells you about a story, and it kind of focuses on all the tertiary issues, but it doesn't, like, way down in, you know, line 27 for, like, 
you know, a little bit, it tells you the main idea of the story. That's called bearing the lead. It's when you don't want to bring the headline to bear weight because you don't like what the headline might be. And here's the thing. The headline of Christmas is really important not to bury. The headline of Christmas is highlighted here in Matthew chapter number 1, verses 18 through 25. In every single gospel that you read, the angels are always the one who are trying to make sure we don't bury the lead. So here's what this portion of text tells us. Verse 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now here's the thing. What, what the first thing we get with this Christmas story is it's a group of normal people doing normal things and even so normal that like some of the issues that you just had at Thanksgiving, they're having. Like she sh- someone shows up pregnant and you're like, what? That's what just happened. Mary shows up pregnant. Joseph is like, we're only engaged, all right? We got kids in the room, so just take that where it should go. And his response is, being a, it says a just man, he's like, well, I'm not going to make this a big deal, but we're not getting married, right? So he doesn't take her to Jerry Springer. He's just like, we're not going to do this. Then an angel shows up. What is ordinary becomes extraordinary. An angel shows up and says, Joseph, verse 20 As he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in dreams, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, check it out. Here comes the headline. She's going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they'll call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and they called his name Jesus. Now, this story setup is really interesting, isn't it? In the headline from the angels is that Jesus will be born and he will save his people from their sins. In our day and age, we live in a really fragmented, divided, really political climate. Um, And every single day you can turn on the television and someone is going to be telling you some sort of information about what you need to be saved from and how you can do it. You don't only have to turn the TV on, this can happen on social media too, but they're basically teaching us and people are propagating a message saying, you need to be saved from this personal hell whatever it may be. It might look something like this. There's going to be a child that's born that will save you from the climate disasters to come. And here's the thing. In Houston, we've seen some climate disasters. That's like it hits home. We're like, you know what? We might need some of that. What is that? Because we've seen some things happen, right? Or it might look like this. You need to be saved from high health care costs because they will... And here's the thing, if you, if you guys try to get insurance recently, it's brutal. I'm trying to get that for my son right now. It's like the open enrollment season, which also is known as like robbing me season. Tough. Be saved from high health care costs. Or you can be saved from the immigration issues if you do fill in the blank. You can be saved from mass incarceration. You can be saved from evil politicians. Irony there is that you're going to be saved by putting another politician in. But anyway, all of these salvation techniques... It doesn't only have to be political. Sometimes you get online and it's like, hey, be saved from wrinkly skin. Personal hell is to look in the mirror and see that when you do this, your forehead wrinkles. 
So you inject a needle in there, and then you can't even move your eyebrows. But it doesn't wrinkle, right? So I guess that's a win. Or how about this one? You know, you, if you, from your, save you from sickness by eating leafy spinach. It's like there was this weird headline, like, I think it was a year ago, where like leafy spinach had E. coli in it. And I'm like, that is so ironic. It's like the thing that's supposed to save you will kill you. You know, and you can just go on. It's, it's, this workout plan is going to do it, or this is going to. It's ultimately all these self-salvation techniques. And here's what I want to say: even in Jesus' time, that's not a new thing. That's that's been around for a long time. If in Jesus' day there were to be headlines of what the people felt like they needed to be saved from in order to have the good life, they probably would have been something like: "There's going to be a child that's born. He'll save you from the taxation of Rome." Like Rome's taxation rates were outlandish. Like, you think ours are outlandish. They're bad, but it's like 80% taxation at that time. So for there to be this, you know, big announcement, be like, hey, you're going to be saved from the tyranny of taxes. Or a child's going to be born, he's going to save you from the tyranny of Roman occupation. Because that was bad, right? Especially if you're a Jew. You're going to save you from religious discrimination. At that time, there would have been a million things that people probably thought they needed to be saved from in order to have the good life. And listen to me, I'm trying to help us to see, you and I, we have these things in our minds that we think, if this just went right in my life, then and only then, then I'd have the good life. If my marriage was a little bit better, if my kids were a little bit more obedient, if my hair wasn't receding, then things would be better. If I lost a little weight, he lost a little weight, she lost a little weight, we lost a little weight, things would be better. And all of those are these self-salvation techniques that we have. If we get our schedule tweaked, if the kids could get in these sports and not these sports, be better at those sports, be better academically, all of those things, then we could have the good life. And the headline from the angels has nothing to do with any of that. And some of those are more serious and significant than others, aren't they? I'm not saying none of those things matter. I'm saying the headline of Christmas is that what has gone wrong with the world that you and I obviously know something's gone wrong. What's gone wrong is so much deeper and so much more vast and widespread that Jesus' headline of his birth is that he came to save us from sin. That's the most important, biggest problem for you and for me. Listen to me. I know that's not like a chipper message yet, but it does get there. First and foremost, it's the sin that we have to recognize is actually rotting us from the inside out that there is sin in us. I love how Paul says it. I almost wanted to put this on a plaque and put it in my office because this is like a pastoral verse if there ever was one. He says, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. I love that because he's saying, listen, in the church there are sinners and that's it. Jesus came to save sinners because there wasn't any other kind of people. <laughs> it, you know, you could basically take sinners and you could put people and, and because that's all, the only kind of people that have ever lived except for Jesus are sinners. He came to save people from what is really plaguing them from the inside out. And it's so simple. And here's the thing. I am also so convinced that the lead's been buried, sometimes even by the church. And friends, I don't want us to do that. I want us to be able to boldly and confidently say at Christmas and all year long, Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost from the tyranny of sin. 
We've been saved by Jesus who loves us. Tim Keller says it like this. The Bible's purpose is not so much to show you how to live a good life. The Bible's purpose is to show you how God's grace breaks into your life, saves you from sin and brokenness that you would otherwise have never been able to overcome. Religion says, if you obey, then you'll be accepted. But the gospel is, if you're absolutely accepted and sure that you're accepted, only then will you ever begin to obey. Those are two utterly different things, and every page of the Bible shows the difference. I love that. You see, the message of Christmas is that Christ comes in to save us from sin, and he does so not because we were asking for it, but because he loves us. We didn't even know what to ask for. We ask for all kinds of things, you know, because we all think that we have a better angle on what would really make us happy. And Jesus loves us enough to give us what we don't know we need, which is the healing inwardly that can change us forever and ever and ever. And you know this, if you're a parent, your kids rarely ask you for stuff that would be helpful. (laughs) When they're little, they are resource drainers. And they rarely ask you for stuff that would be really helpful. You know, they, when they write their Christmas list, they're never like, underwear. But you buy them underwear, don't you? I mean, probably they always open it and they're like, oh, thanks, Mom, you know? But can we agree that if they didn't have underwear, that'd be terrible? They're going to school, you know, like kind of looking around. It's awkward. You buy them socks. That's good. Toothpaste. <laughs> right? Here's one that no one ever thinks about. Food, water, and shelter. If you told your kid, here's what I'm getting you for Christmas, your roof over your head, your kids would be like, you're a terrible parent and you hate me. (laughs) God the Father looks down on humanity and says, what you need more than anything, if you try to get, if you try to pursue all the other things, they will all fail unless you're saved from sin. Unless sin is dealt with, everything will be rotted from the inside out. And here's the thing, it was a high cost. The cost to pay the penalty of sin to heal us was a high. It was the highest that could ever be. It was the deepest of deep wells that he had to draw from. God the Father had to give his own child for it. And that's what Jesus was willing to do. You see, Jesus came to save sinners. And I think that's our message that we have to keep coming back to. Because if we're not careful, we'll bury the earth-shattering news somewhere beneath all the other things that we think are important. And in the end, they're just not as important as that message. Here's what I can say to you. If you're a first-time guest, you know, following Jesus, there might be, uh, there always are tertiary benefits to that. Like you probably are going to be wiser with your finances if you follow Jesus. That's not the main thing. Like if I were to get up here and say, if you give to the fund, then God's gonna give a thousandfold. And that's why you should follow Jesus. Listen, I've seen God give me a thousandfold when I gave, and it's amazing. It's not the main thing. (laughs) It's just not. And I can't like pull a a rabbit out of a hat to make it the main thing, because if I do, it's lying. The main thing is that Jesus died for your sin and rose again to give you everlasting life. And that's a gift you can't pay for, and he's not requiring you to pay for it. He already paid the bill, and he put the bill on the cross for you and for me. And that life-changing news will change you forever. That's the lead. And it's even more than that. It's that your own moral effort isn't going to do it. (laughs) Like the Christmas story is about God being born into the world. That's kind of a big deal. 
like the Christ child is God with us. So there's this big issue about how sin is keeping us from a relationship with God. And guess who stepped in to fix the problem? God. Guess who was offended by our sin? God. Guess who had every reason not to do it? God. Guess who decided to step in anyway? God. And he didn't say, hey, you're going to partner with me on this. Hey, like, I'm going to need some help. And we became like Batman and Robin in the salvation technique. He said, I'm going to do it single-handedly on my own, on his own merits, by his own grace, for his own glory. God did everything that needed to be done. And he did this why? So that when we come face-to-face with our own brokenness, we could hate our sin and not ourselves anymore. Think of some of the old Christmas songs. The farther you go back the more they go to this message. How about this one? Long lay the world in sin and error pining until he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices, O night divine, when Christ was born. What are they talking? Sin and error pining for what? Pining for wholeness. The the world just laid pining. Why? Just looking at what had gone wrong and saying, how can it be made right? You ever been to a funeral? I I officiated a funeral yesterday over the holidays. It never fails. Something happens. Get a call. I officiated a funeral. You ever seen a mother weep over their child, have to bury their child? It's one of the most heart-wrenching things you'll ever see. Some of you maybe have been there. Isn't it absolutely awful? I know pastors tell me all the time, like, what a great opportunity for the gospel court. You know what I look at them and say? It's awful. I hate it. You can do it next time. And here's why. I do believe it's a great opportunity for the gospel, but you can't help but feel something's gone wrong in this world we live in. That's not how it was meant to be. When I saw this mother over the casket with her son, I couldn't help but just be broken for her. She's not meant to do that. But the Christmas story is, as the world pined in that brokenness, the Christ child was born. It's in this little baby that the whole hope of eternity rests. What a flex by God, by the way, right? Is there anything more vulnerable than a baby? Some of you have newborns. I just saw, you know, Jenna Vaccaro, one of our staff members, she came with her newborn. A baby is so vulnerable. God was wrapped in flesh and basically dared the devil to do something about it. He was going to save us. He would save us no matter what. Came wrapped in flesh, and in that little baby, there was the hope of the world. That's the story of Christmas, that I could look at that mom yesterday and tell her there's hope for eternal life for everyone who trusts in Christ. And that's what we get to celebrate. It's why there's even meaning to standing around the Christmas tree and singing carols and, you know, drinking wassail. (laughs) You know why we get to do that? And we don't have to be basically just nihilists that think, why, you know, we're going to drink this and then die. That's true, except for Christ. Though we die, we will live. Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone, anyone who comes to me will live forevermore. They'll never taste death. And that's our hope. Jesus Christ was the greatest gift of all time. It makes every other gift have meaning. He makes every other gift have meaning. When you watch your kid's eyes light up whenever they open that toy, 
You should celebrate, not because the toy's a big deal, but because at some level you'll be able to show them that that's just a fragment of what it means to receive Jesus as the gift. That when, they, when their soul finally gets that moment where they see what Jesus really did for them, their eyes are going to light up like that. You're going to say, yeah, that was the echo. That was the shadow when you opened the silly toy. And we get to celebrate as parents, right? Like what a cool thing they get to celebrate like that. Listen, I know this seems like a no-brainer, but I just want to say this, and the reason that I've been so adamant about this, that's not the gospel that I experienced hearing growing up. I grew up in an irreligious family. I grew up not far from here. And I just didn't hear the story that to follow Jesus meant that he had done everything that needed to be done for me and that he loved me like that. I heard that he loved me, but I also heard that he had a lot of rules. And here's the thing. I mentioned this last week, and i got to be careful about this because I don't want my son to grow up. He's already going to be a pastor's kid, but I don't want him to be a pastor's kid. So you guys got to help me with that. But I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, I'm always using him as an, as an example and sometimes to the negative. I told you about him getting yellow cards. So I just need to be clear here. In kindergarten, I was always on the sad tree. <laughs> Every single day. On the, there were two trees. We didn't have the red, yellow, green. We had the happy tree and the sad tree. <laughs> and you had your name, and you got put either on the sad tree or the happy tree. And if you were on the sad tree, you stood on the wall at recess. Everybody else played, and you had to stand on the wall. That was me. Every day, I was on the sad tree. And listen, I don't need you to pity me. I deserve to be on the sad tree every day. I did something, didn't listen, whatever it may be. So for me, whenever I heard that there's a story about Jesus, but he's got a list of rules, I already knew I didn't belong because if I was Anywhere to be, I was like, if Jesus is anything like Santa, I'm on the naughty list. I'm not on the nice list. I know the kids on the nice list. I'm not like them. They were the kids in class that didn't pour Elmer's glue on the carpet. I did. They're the ones who told on me for pouring Elmer's glue on the carpet. And it wasn't until much later that someone told me about the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And I was just shocked. Wow, that's what it meant. No, it was years before I understood what it was like to experience 100-proof gospel grace. There's a story about Coca-Cola in the 1980s. There was these uh, cola wars, is what they called them, going on. And in the 1980s, Pepsi was kind of making its way into the cola battles. And so they began to brand themselves as more sleek uh, soda, and that Coca-Cola was for old people. But if you were hot and new and trendy, you drank Pepsi. All the ads were like that. And honestly, it worked to an extent. Like, it, people were like, yeah, you're, an, like, it had all these celebrities and actresses, like, drinking Pepsi. You could imagine that in our day, right? It's like, soda, you know, but back then, that's what it was. And people were buying into it. And so Coca-Cola started to lose some of their profits, started to feel this pressure, now, here's the thing. There was a time, I read this in an article, and this is incredible to think about, that the two safest places in the United States if you wanted to store something were in the vaults in Fort Knox or the vaults in Coca-Cola. I'm not kidding because Coca-Cola hid their secret ingredient in that vault to their Coca-Cola because they were like the gold standard, all right? And yet in 1985, when they started feeling this pressure, they introduced what would later be known as the biggest like flub in all of business history, New Coke. And to make a long story short, everyone hated it. 
400,000 calls came in in the first week saying, please bring back classic Coke. Please bring it back. They, they literally formed nonprofit organizations to picket Coca-Cola to bring back Coke. The real Coke, not the new Coke. They weren't interested. And after 77 days, the CEO came out and finally said, we made a mistake and brought back. But it, the damage was already done, right? They had tried to mix and mess up the secret ingredient. And here's my fear with the church is if we're not careful, we are going to try to mess with the very thing that makes us potent and powerful, the gospel. It doesn't need to be added to. We don't have to add to the message of Christmas. Listen, I, I, want, I started where I started for a reason. I like Christmas sentimentality. I like the season. We watch stupid movies all the time, and I love them. Here's the thing. When we get to real stuff, though, you don't have to add to the story of Jesus. It is what it is. And when it is what it is, it's most powerful. Jesus and the story of Jesus coming to save us from our sins is always going to be the most potent message the church has. More than our programs, more than Financial Peace University, more than our discipleship efforts, more than any good deed we'll ever do, it's the message of Jesus Christ coming to save sinners. That, and only that, stands as our secret ingredient. And there's two mistakes you can make. Try to add to it or try to take away from it. And I would just say, I don't care what you brand the can, just don't mess with what's inside of it. I'm all about, listen, contextualization is good. You talk to, like, if you talk to someone in Spanish or English, it's probably stupid for you to try to share the gospel to someone who's a Spanish speaker in English. So speak in Spanish. Don't be dumb. That's the branding on the outside. What's the message on the inside? What are you telling them about Jesus? And as the church, we'll do a lot of things. Nothing is as important as keeping the gospel pure and central. So what kind of people might we be if this is true? Well, I'll just tell you a few things that we've said from the very beginning at Providence, and I pray that this resonates with you. If the gospel is true, this gospel we talked about, then the church can be simple. It means that everything can be centered on this message, and we don't have to compromise the grace of Jesus, and we don't have to do a ton of other things in order to, like, spice it up. Like, I don't have to bring, like, a, like a, a dirt bike, you know, and, like, jump a jump and then say, like, that's what faith looks like. You know, I don't have to do that. You know, I, I don't have to have incredible uh, oratory skills all the time. Um, Brendan doesn't have to expect to come up here, and then whenever he sings the second song, he hits with his foot, and then the, the smoke comes out, and it's the spirit. You know, it's like, oh, the Holy Ghost, you know, is here now. I don't have to do that. Church can be simple because you're just pointing to Christ. Also, church can be hospitable and it's safe to be honest in the church. Like the church can be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Because if Jesus Christ came to save sinners and I'm admitting I'm the foremost, then hopefully what we can do is say, it's safe to be a sinner if everyone's a sinner. And then we can look to Jesus and learn to love our Savior and hate our sin, not love ourselves or hate ourselves. Right? Or the church can be relational if this gospel is true. Like if, if God came from heaven and was born into a manger in order to relate with us, we can go across the street, right? <laughs> like we can open our living room if he opened himself up to that kind of cross-cultural missions. Is there anything more cross-cultural than Jesus coming from heaven to earth? We can be relational if that's what our God was willing to do. 
And then lastly, the church can be simply marked by the great commission and the great commandment to love God and love others and to go and share the greatest gift that's ever been given, namely Jesus Christ. We can be marked by that and really not feel forced to try and create other missions for the church. There's a lot of good that prayerfully will do, um, but as long as we keep what's central, central. And so in closing, I wanted to mention this. You know, you don't have to twist people's arm to share with others the things that they're excited about. <laughs> you, ever, you ever noticed that? You ever watched a really good movie? You know what no one has to tell you to do? Tell people about it. I mean, unless you're like an introvert and like you just never speak to anyone. But like for the most part, you watch a good movie, you know what you do? Tell other people about the movie, right? First thing that you do when you walk out with like, you know, butter on your fingers and popcorn on your mouth, you start talking to your spouse about how awesome the movie was, if you liked it. Or relationships, first time you fell in love, you probably didn't have to be prodded to talk about her or him. And then one that I know is true because I saw this happening even in the foyer, you know, your favorite sports team winning or the one you hate losing. No one has to tell you to make fun of your friends about the losing and no one has to tell you to celebrate the winning. It's just naturally what you do. And here's what I want to encourage you with this Christmas season is be all over again enthralled with the simple truth of the gospel. Jesus saving sinners like you and me from our sins and just be overwhelmed by it all over again at Christmas time when you see people when you get overwhelmed with it it's not hard to share just how awesome it is that Jesus saves sinners of whom you and I are foremost Jesus saves sinners like you and me what a message to give and when you realize just how much that cost him it isn't hard to want to tell people about it Jesus told Peter when he told him a story he who has been forgiven much will forgive much, but he who has been forgiven little will forgive little. You and I, friends, have been forgiven much. Man, we got a lot of grace to share. And so I pray that we can be like John the Baptist, which is the title of our Advent series. In John chapter 1, verse 29, he said this as Jesus walked toward him, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is the church's mission, simply to point to Jesus and say, he's the one who takes away the sins of the world. Behold God with us. You will stand to your feet. I'll pray for us. Father, thank you for loving us like this. If there be a person under the sound of my voice that questions that you love them, I ask right now that you would open their hearts to know that they are loved by you, Father, because Jesus died for them. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to go to the cross for us, that you were willing to be born in a manger for us. From heaven to earth, you condescended because you loved us. Help us to not abandon the simple, pure, unadulterated, powerful message of the cross. Help us to embrace it, God, to know that we know that we know that we're yours because you were willing to do everything that needed to be done. And now, Lord, as we take of your table, I do pray for that overwhelming, amazing experience all over again of being in awe of the wonder of the gospel so that this Christmas season we can be sharers 
without having to have our arm twisted. Thank you, God. We trust you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.